Welcome to the Think Like Amazon podcast, the show where I sit down with former Amazon executives to discuss Amazon's unique principles and processes and tease out how you can apply them to grow and manage your business. I'm Tyler Wallace, a seven-year former Amazonian, current brand consultant, and your host as we learn to think like Amazon. Welcome to the Think Like Amazon podcast. Today, I'm pleased to have Elizabeth Bennett with me on the show. Elizabeth spent 15 years at Amazon, where she grew multiple billion-dollar businesses and held several roles, including Director of Lawn and Garden and Director and General Manager of Business and Technology for Selling Partners. Two years ago, Elizabeth left Amazon to join Kraft Heinz as VP of Global E-Commerce, where she now leads technology and innovation efforts for one of the world's largest food and beverage companies. Welcome to the show, Elizabeth. Thanks, Tyler. I'm excited to be here. Well, I'm excited to have you. We crossed paths a few times at Amazon, and you've just gone on to do some really exciting things. So I'm very excited for the conversation we'll have. Maybe to kick things off, can you tell us a little bit more about your journey at Amazon? Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, And I'm excited today because I think you should. We're going to talk about hiring and developing, which is near and dear to my heart and something I have so much passion for. So my journey at Amazon was one, um, I'll share, my first year there, I thought, I just have to make it one year. This was 2004. I have to make it one year so I don't have to pay back my signing bonus, which by the way, at the time was like four shekels, right? And the first year was pretty rough, right? But all of a sudden, probably about month nine, I thought, this is actually a really interesting place. And so I started off in our business development group and then quickly moved within the retail organizations. And one of the things that I love about Amazon and that I realize is very special and part of the DNA is hire smart people and let them go where they may not have expertise. So I spent a bunch of time in media, both in physical and digital media. I'll date myself slightly because at the time it was called AVOD, which now obviously is Prime Video, um, but got to be part of that launch and that business. And then I moved into uh, what we called our hard lines business. And I worked in the home pets, lawn and garden space. And much to my children's dismay, I do not have any pets. I refuse to get any, right? But I share that because it was really fun that, you know, we could help build these categories where my expertise was starting with the consumer and working backwards and figuring out how to build the team and how to make things scalable and, and long-term. But but um, got to work on a bunch of really interesting products, um, spent a bunch of time in hard lines. And then wanted to get a bit closer to the technology side and so moved to, at the time, uh, retail systems and spent a bunch of time in this kind of straddle world of business and technology, uh, which was super interesting and learned enough to ask, you know, a few questions along the way and how to hire amazing engineers and let them run things. And then had a really unique opportunity to join Kraft Heinz uh, and was interesting to me as the company was on a big turnaround. And, you know, who would have ever thought we'd had COVID at the time? I thought, you know, no one in the grocery space has really figured out e-commerce could be really interesting. That's a great overview. And I love that you started off in talking about how hire and develop the best is near and dear to your heart. 
I know that the majority of those 15 years, you quickly gave us a summary of an Amazon you spent as a people manager and a, a leader, if not a leader, you know, multiple layers of, of leaders. And so I'd love to dive into some of those experiences where you feel like you were closest to that principle and where you saw that in action. And in particular, this principle at Amazon, you know, part of it states that leaders take seriously their role in coaching others. What was your playbook in helping others develop in their careers, getting out of their way, letting them really develop in your teams at Amazon? Yeah, I think there's a few things. I think, you know, there's another Amazon principle about being vocally self-critical, right? Which I translate a lot to being really vulnerable and saying, here's what I'm good at, here's what I bring, and here's what I'm not good at, or here's an area where I don't have expertise. And so I think those two tie in very well together because I think a good leader which by the way is very different than a good manager, takes this strategy of I'm going to hire people who are more experts than me, smarter than me, better than me, fill in the blank, right? And I'm going to help steer the ship with them, but mostly just knock a few hurdles down along the way and help coach on their career. And so I do think that mindset of it is the greatest privilege and responsibility to be a people leader. And part of that is the biggest resource any of us will ever invest in is people. And so I think if you have that mentality, uh, everyone has very different styles. I've learned over the years to really embrace my style, which is quite authentic, and to accelerate that. And so I think that kind of becomes the umbrella of how to approach it. And then there's certainly pieces, as, as you mentioned, playbook underneath it of how to think about it, how to think about balance in the team, how to think about putting great talent out there. I'm a huge believer in, you know, certainly this past year, but, you know, always that personal and professional blend together and understanding the whole self. And, you know, this, I no longer say work-life balance because I think that means something really different to everyone. But whether you say work-life harmony or work-life flexibility, whatever word you choose to use there, but bringing your whole self to work and helping get that from the team and treating people as people. And I say they're our greatest resource and, and yes, they are a resource, but they're also a person. And when you understand me, you get the best out of me. And I think great that's what sets leaders apart from managers is figuring out that DNA and that culture, how to build the team with different strengths and then how to get the best out of everyone. I love that. So how would you go about helping those on your team get to know you and, and get to know your leadership style? Yeah. So um, over the years, I have become much more transparent and I am already a very transparent, direct person. And here's my style, which is very high expectations, very fair, very much believe in celebrating successes. It will always give feedback. And I expect everyone to take feedback as a gift. I will give any opportunity feedback in private. Um, and I expect that we are in this together and we win as a team and we celebrate as a team, we own it as a team. And I expect my leadership team to be fully present, be passionate, um, and and to be people, right? I sometimes, I, I'll share an example. Last week, I was tackling this really gnarly challenge and we were having meeting after meeting and the team has this presentation. And I finally said, you know what? I need to hit pause on this. I'm going to go for a run for an hour. I need to clear my mind. I will come back a better person, a better leader, and I will be able to give better input. And to me, that is leading by example. It's saying like, 
hold on, I'm not my best self right now. And so I think all of those strategies are around being your authentic self and your leadership style and my leadership style will look really different. And there's things at this point in my career that I can tweak about my style, but there's some things that are fundamentally not going to change. I'm always going to move quickly and I always expect people to move quickly, right? Um, And so I think when you're hiring and when you're building a team, it has to be a fit on both sides. It's such a high investment, right? And you have to be really transparent and you can't paint this perfect picture of either yourself or the journey they're going to go on. It's like, look, here's the great things. Here's the not so great things. And like, here's how I show up. And this is what I expect. And knowing ahead of time, if that works, it doesn't mean that everyone's always like unicorns and rainbows and like, this is great. But it does mean that you're in it together and you have this baseline of trust and accountability and shared expectations. I love that collaborative approach that you described in the example of leading by example, taking that taking that break to come back as a better version of yourself, able to provide more input. I want to double click on something that you mentioned a little bit in some of your comments, Elizabeth. You talked about how you are supportive of those on your teams, bringing their whole selves, being authentic. You also use some language around having really high standards and setting expectations. Can you talk a little bit more about how insisting on really high standards, but also being supportive and being flexible as integrating? Because I imagine that some feel like there's a trade-off between those two. That's interesting. I think you can have very high standards and also be incredibly flexible. And so um, what I, I use this phrase to the team, no surprises are good surprises, right? So good or bad, right? But that means you have the right mechanisms and you know how things are going. And you could even take that right down to a more maybe junior employee, right? When someone says, okay, I'd like you know to have, I don't know, some document review on X date, X date comes, the worst thing you would do is ask that employee. And then they would say, oh, I need another week, right? Like part of high expectations is you can probably always be flexible. There's very few things where you can't be flexible on, but you want to hire people who proactively come to you, right? Depending on what level they're at. And they say, here's how I'm framing this. Here's why I think this needs more time. Are we all aligned before that date, right? That's a very myopic example. But I do think high standards and high expectations breeds a culture and everyone wants to work with people who are challenging and who work smart and who, you know, I always say to the team, like, we want to have debate. It needs to be respectful. And the biggest key to that is that when the door opens or the Zoom call hangs up, we've all disagreed, but committed, right? And we've been respectful about that and we've debated and we've had diverse input so that we can drive the best outcome. And I think with that style of flexibility and high standards is where vocally self-critical comes in as well, because you have to be willing to be wrong, Uh, whether it's yourself or your team or your assumptions, fill in the blank, right? But I think that flexibility allows you to still have the high standards, but to say, oh, I didn't think about it that way, or I hadn't had that perspective, and you can course correct quickly. Um, And you know, Amazon often uses this term one-way or two-way door, right? Which essentially means, you know, uh, uh, to simplify it, 
a one-way door as you walk through and that's it. So you that decision better damn be perfect, right? Basis point by basis point, this is tied out. Versus a two-way door is a reversible decision, right? And there's very few one-way doors. And so I often think about that as well with teams and how you're thinking about things and flexibility of knowing how to push and when to push. And especially now more than ever, I think we all have to be incredibly careful and understanding where people are coming at so that it's a a delicate time right now, mentally, um, in corporate America. And if we don't acknowledge that, the the, man, you're going to look around one day and not have great talent. Well said. And I love that you, in this discussion of developing the best, tied in vocally self-critical, insists on the highest standards, uh, certainly having backbone disagree and commit and earns trust as well. I think just really exemplifying how, as a leader, you integrate various Amazon leadership principles. It's not just one in isolation, but it's bringing components of all of these to be a strong people leader and, and leader of the organization. I want to ask you a little bit, Elizabeth, about another component of Hire and Develop the Best. Both of us have seen many people move around Amazon every few years. You, you yourself had several roles at Amazon. Uh, and so it's pretty commonplace, right, that uh, you know the people on your team are going to be looking or moving on to a new challenge within 18 months, two years, et cetera. How would you recognize strong talent and help them move through the organization as a people leader? Yeah, I think one of the great things about a good leader is you put good talent out there and you do not what I call hoard talent, right? And so to be a good leader, you can identify when you can develop that person and you can also identify when that person needs either a different leader or a different skill set, fill in the blank, but something else in um, making sure that you are doing right by that person and thinking through that. Now, there's a practical piece to this because as you said, you know, every 12, 18, 24 months, there's this idea of rotation. And I think that's where really thoughtful strategic leaders are, one, always recruiting and always thinking about, I met this exceptional person, here's what he or she can bring. Whether I have a role or not, you, you may just hire them, right? I think that's one piece of it. I also think the flywheel of putting great talent out there and getting great talent back is a lag. So you have to first put great talent out there. And then at some point, you will earn the well-deserved reputation of developing talent and of really doing right by people. And people will come to you and say, I'm going to work on your team, right? That takes some time, which is why I think you should always be recruiting. And I do think there is a balance of hiring internally, externally a balance of general athletes versus specialists or experts. And you have to kind of strike that right balance, which is not always the easiest thing. But I, I think that as you, and, and, you know, an example is over my 15 years at Amazon, I probably had 18 people who worked for me multiple, multiple times. And that, that's like the best thing you can have because you have a team and a partnership and you understand each other's nuances and quirks and you have so much fun, right? And so, but it, it does take some time and it takes proving that your say-do ratio is also kind of appropriately balanced on developing talent. I love that say-do ratio that you brought up and seeing your relationship with those on your team is a long-term investment uh, in them. And as you said, that will look different for each person, but in many cases on a lagged timeline will come back and there's, there's this positive karma element to it as you build that reputation as a leader. 
I'd like to talk a little bit more, Elizabeth, since you, at least in some of your later roles at Amazon, were in these organizations that were quite large and you had multiple layers of leadership. You come across as somebody that's very authentic, that's very genuine, that really likes to know people and know their nuances, their quirks, what it takes to help them be successful. How would you do that when you had these teams where maybe some of the people on your team were a couple layers removed from you and you, you couldn't talk to everybody on a regular basis? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and I love the fact that you basically just called me quirky, which I, at this point in my career, can completely embrace is accurate. <laughs> um, so look, I wish I could say I have this perfectly figured out. I don't. Um, <laughs> and my mechanisms on this have had to change during this virtual world. So traditionally, you are right. I think being present as a leader and being approachable and human is important. And it's very rare people are going to remember what you say, but they will remember how you made them feel. And I think that is so important. And so traditionally, my mechanisms of you can walk the floor, you can grab coffee, you can do lunches, you can do kind of small group, you know, I, those changed a lot over this past year. And so, again, candidly, I, I haven't figured out the secret sauce. I think there are pieces I am now rebuilding around new hire fireside chats where it is not about the business, but you are getting to know each other and sharing your background. Um, and so I just had someone recently join the team and I don't know, there are a few layers down and someone sent out the email, you know, the traditional email you get that says, yay, so-and-so has joined and here's all the great things about them, right? Um, and and I read all of these because I'm genuinely interested, but I noticed this person played ukulele. And so I reached out to them and I said, welcome to the team, very excited to have you. And by the way, one of my children, very poorly, hopefully they will not be listening to this podcast, attempts to play ukulele. And I share that because it's such a small thing, but it, it's it's like finding these interconnections with people where you connect just not on a professional level, but also on a personal level. Um, I do a lot of talks about being a working parent and what that looks like. And, and so I think whatever your strategy is, some people like a much more formal environment. Some people love to walk the floor and say, hey, let's all go, go grab a coffee in the morning, whatever that looks like. I think building a toolkit of your mechanisms that you want to do and sharing that with your leadership team and with your support system so that they can help enable that becomes really important. I think the other piece on that um, and something that I, I try and be diligent about, but um, I'm not always as diligent as I should be, is thinking through how you're spending your time. And again, your greatest impact is you. And so being really thoughtful about how much time are you spending on recruiting? How much time are you spending on team development? What does that look like? And when you put this in a grid of all of your priorities, right, you've got WPR, MBR, whatever, you know, all of those things, it is actually a very interesting exercise because it's really easy to see how your time could be eaten up by running the business. I'm, I'm doing quotes on a podcast. I realize no one can see me. Um, but it is very easy to get pulled into running the business and think about either recruiting or people or all of that as add-ons or nice to have. And what happens with that, and the biggest mistake is that's the first thing to get cut. And so that's why I think you have to have mechanisms, whether it's you know your top 
talent on the team and you just do a check-in. Um, whether it's, you know, I did a lot of teams, we use teams, um, kind of just bombing in on people and just calling. It's a little awkward, I'll say. <laughs> like, hey, I'm just calling to check in. How's it going? Right. But I do think the more layered your organization gets and the more different time zones, different locations, different skill sets, you still have to make an effort to be seen and to be understood and to make sure that you pick one or two priorities that you're going to weave throughout the organization so that you create that team. I'm taking notes here. I I love these ideas. And really, I think the common thread I see across these different mechanisms and examples you've shared is that as a leader, you can be known as focusing mostly on people or focusing mostly on the work. And it sounds like you have found ways to focus primarily on the people in a way that the work follows because it's genuine. It still insists on the right standards, but people know that you want them to be successful, not that you just want the work done at all costs. That's right. And look, like this is not a like, again, rainbows and unicorns. People are always first. It is a balance. Right. And and like, do not get me wrong. I can tell you our metrics at a business by a basis point level. And I will go and I will ask those questions. But it's also this mentality of, you know, I go back to it's very rare someone remembers what you told them, but they will always remember how they felt. And so when you're having, whether it's a, you know, all hands or a fireside chat or, you know, fill in the blank even how you ask the tough questions. And my team will tell you, I will ask very direct, tough questions. But you can ask them in a way that it still may be challenging, um, but that there is not a culture of fear. And in the opposite of that, there's this culture of vulnerability because otherwise you don't get a culture where you can share mistakes and then we'll make the same mistakes twice. And that's when, I don't know how you come back from that. Right. I'd like to talk a little bit more, you know, maybe dovetailing on being connected to the metrics, being connected to the KPIs. I'd like to touch a little bit more on the insists on the highest standards principle. And in particular, Elizabeth, you had experience running and building very nascent businesses. I think, you know, the Selling Partner Success Organization is one example of that. And this leadership principle starts off by saying that leaders have relentlessly high standards. And I'd love to get your input on how you think about establishing and then insisting on those relentlessly high standards when you're building something that hasn't existed before. There's no benchmark, there's no proxy, there's no uh, historical waterline that you have to go off of. Yeah. um, One of the great things about competencies is that they are transferable, right? And so I think if you as a leadership team are very clear on what are the key competencies, and by the way, it's very rare I'm not sure I've ever met anyone who excels at every single competency, right? So you have to be clear what your trade-offs are. And certainly your your competencies that are maybe areas of opportunity, you want to be achievable. You don't want them to be blockers, but they're not going to be your superpower. They're not your jam. And then I think even when you're building something new, an achieves higher is painful, right? It is... It's really challenging. And so I think that's where the competencies come in. And, you know, oftentimes I'll sometimes sit and interview debriefs and there's this sense, there's a sense of ambivalence, right? Here's where I think it's art and data. Because the reality is, you know, when you're interviewing people, what you have four or five, six people for, I don't know, 60 minutes, right? It's a snippet. Um, and I think that's where you have to say, look, there is some judgment. And I am a big person. The team will often hear me say, 
I'm going to give you something from my gut. Go prove me wrong or right with the data, right? But if you're not so excited about that person sitting in front of you and you're not thinking like, God, how do we help make this happen? Then like, it's in, you're ambivalent, right? And I would say move slowly to move fast in the long run, which is whether you're building a team, whether you're recreating a team, whether you're iterating, whatever that looks like, you need great talent and you need a balance in your talent. So you can't hire all like... I'm going to have such bias for action that I leave, you know, all these dead bodies along the way, right? You've got to, you've got to have this balance. But I think if you're clear and you are also clear that there's no perfect person, nor is there a perfect role that again, you will move slower because it will take longer to get that going. But ultimately you will have a more stable, more successful team that drives more output. And the the other piece, which again, I, you know, I'm so thankful to have learned this at Amazon is this idea of single threaded leader and being very clear who owns this, who owns this holistically. And if everyone kind of looks around the room and points at someone else, like you're going to be damned if you're going to get that over the line, whatever that project or initiative is. And so I think about that also in hiring and I'm a big believer in, yes, you have a team that does the hiring, but the hiring manager who is the single threaded leader, you know, has to be really excited. And I have made many mistakes along the way where I've pushed a candidate on someone or voluntold. And then all of a sudden you're like, nope, you've, it's gotta be, it has to be a fit. It's a little bit like, a marriage. It's a partnership. And that's like the best employee manager relationship is when it's a partnership and you can ebb and flow. I love that. And, you know, one of the takeaways for me from your comments are that you need to make sure that you have the right person that's excited to set a high bar for themselves in the role. You can't just bring in people and expect, you know, if, if the competencies are misaligned, that you can be the police or, you know, you can be the person making sure that everyone else is trying to have relentlessly high standards. You need to attract and and select those people that are going to put that upon themselves. And then you've got this team that's all pulling together. That's right. One other component of this insist on the highest standards leadership principle I, I want to touch on with you is really around the idea of making sure that things are correctly solved and and stay fixed. You know, Amazon, in my experience, was very good at focusing on root causing issues, no matter how minute they might seem in the context of the business. Can you share an example, perhaps from your time at Amazon, where you fixed a problem and had the right mechanism to make sure that that problem stayed fixed down the road? That's a fun question. Yes. And I will also share, I have many of these examples. And at the time, they're really painful. But then you tell these stories and we've all learned from it. And I will continue to have many of these. If I don't, it means we're not moving quick enough. Um, I'll share an example, which is we were launching and building the um, patio lawn and garden category. And you can imagine when you think about patio furniture, it's it's big, it's bulky. And we were so focused on what we thought was doing right for the consumer, which was having the right selection. And we wanted everything in stock that we brought in picnic tables, which, you know, they have benches and they're a table, right? Like, this is a huge footprint of an item. And we brought in beige, light beige, brown, polka dot, right? Every color. And I got this call from the filament centers <laughs> that it, it wasn't as nice as I'm making this sound, right? But it basically said, you have filled up 
the entire fulfillment center with these picnic tables, which, by the way, sell about one every three months. What the? You can fill in the blank. Um, and it's this great learning moment of, okay, we need to have some glance view, which is, you know, the, the Amazon term of how many eyeballs are looking at an item before we decide to bring something. There needs to be some weight, some look at, right? There needs to be all of these rules in place. But when you're building a category from scratch, sometimes you're really focused on selection and and being in stuck that you learn these defects as you're going. Um, and I think that was, you know, a fun one uh, and that impacted so many teams and had such a downstream impact and ripple effect. And I will say one of the picnic tables ended up outside of my office from the <laughs> fulfillment centers that um, they're very thrilled to send to me so I could see myself how big it was. But I share that as one of many. And I I think the learning from that is do a cause of air, root cause it, do not try and shove anything under the rug or the picnic table, if you will, just learn from it and fix it. And then think about, are there other areas this applies to, right? So when I had that happen, I then quickly called my peer um, who was launching a home business and said, by the way, I think rugs could be like picnic tables, right? They're really big. They come in lots of colors. Cool. This is what happened. Let me share this with you. And I think that that approach, which, you know, at the time having to stand up in the WBR and explain this, it, you know, it certainly wasn't fun, but it, it was a good learning and we fixed the defect. That's great. I love that example. And I, I'm trying to remember now if on your floor I ever saw that picnic table. I'm sure I passed it, but uh, <laughs> what a what a good reminder. I received the beige one with the polka dots. Can you imagine <laughs> all of this in network? Oh my goodness. Anyways, yes, right before Christmas, right before Turkey Five. Oh, so fun and, and uh, understandable why they were feeling so full and frustrated with the inventory. So Elizabeth, we just have a few minutes left and uh, we've been talking a lot about Amazon. I'd love to shift to your time post Amazon now and understand from your perspective, what practices or mechanisms from these leadership principles of developing the best or insisting on the highest standards, have you found most applicable or helpful in your work outside of Amazon? Um, many of them. I think, you know, there's there's a few things that are different. I think Amazon's unique in this kind of general athlete profile, and that's certainly been a, a learning experience. Um, but I think the idea of, you know, treat people how you'd want to be treated. Think about, I'm someone... I shared this, I tend to move very quickly. And I've learned, I have a post-it note on my computer that says, slow down and feel, right? And so I'm someone who I would think everything should just be written in the subject line of an email. Like, I don't even know why I'd have to write in the body of the email. But what I realize is when someone gets that, their feeling might not be what it is. And so I have to make sure I say, hi, Tyler, how are you? I uh, just wanted to kind of, you know, share this thought on this. Thanks so much, right? And that applies anywhere you go. I think the other pieces that apply are that people are your greatest resources. So whether you work in a fulfillment center, a manufacturing plant, um, an office, whatever that looks like, you know, if we can use technology and automation, we will, and we should in implore that. But we have people doing these jobs that are complex and high judgment. And so we need to make sure we are consistently hiring better. And I also think the the idea of a team DNA and specifically for senior leadership teams, how you think about not just the position you're hiring for, but the individuals you have and how that DNA comes together and their strengths and their approaches is really important. And the art and science, right? Because you can have a million KPIs and 
data and there still is some some art to this and some what I call gut or judgment around how much do you lean in or take a risk and and that's a, a judgment in and out of itself. But I think in general that that all applies. And I also think being your authentic self and being true. I still probably get an email once a week from someone who I've worked with at Amazon saying, can I pick your brain about something? Do you have time to be a mentor? What does this look like? And I I can't say that I do every single time, but I really try and show up and make sure that I'm there. And so whether you still work with people, whether they still work for you, whatever that looks like, it's a really big ecosystem. And this idea of continuing to develop talent and continuing to invest in people, continuing to have diverse perspectives and helping people have not only seats at the table, but feel comfortable with that seat at the table. I'm extremely passionate about working moms and what that looks like. So whatever your your area is, put that time in. And that's, you know, you could work in any industry, any place. And I, I truly, from the bottom of my heart, believe that's true. That's wonderful. Uh, so many good leadership qualities. I know you admitted that some of this you're still continuing to work on. I think all of us are in different areas. But I also, again, just to echo what I said earlier, notice that you're somebody that really puts people first and really values building those relationships. I imagine that there might be those listening to this podcast that are thinking, hey, you know, Elizabeth would be somebody great to know. Where can listeners go to learn a little bit more about you or the work that you're doing at Kraft Heinz? Well, first of all, I will take this opportunity to put a plug in, which is if you are listening to this and you have high ownership, bias for action, all of these things, we are always hiring. So please ping me. Um, You can ping me on LinkedIn. You can shoot me an email. Tyler, I wish I could say had like a super hip Instagram or Twitter. I don't. I am too old. Um, But (laughs) (laughs) people can always reach out via email, phone, pigeon, LinkedIn, whatever that looks like. And I I am being genuine when I say we are hiring for some really strong leaders. So if you like what you hear or you don't like what you hear and you know better and you can help us build better, we also want to hear from you. Wonderful. Well, thanks again. Uh, It's been a real treat, Elizabeth, catching up with you, talking about this hire and develop principle, insisting on highest standards, how you go about applying that now at Kraft Heinz. Uh, I'm I'm excited for the things you're going to continue to build. And hopefully we get some folks reaching out to you from this. Thanks, Tyler. Really appreciate it. It's been really fun and lovely to catch up. Likewise. Thanks. Thanks.